Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy Slim. I'm here with my buddy Ghost, and welcome to Wouldn't You Like to Know? Um, it's a totally innovative podcast, never heard of before. Um, this is actually episode 45. Probably should have started with that. That was bullcrap. I should have thought of that first. <laughs> I'm going to redo the intro. Yeah. We'll save this for behind the scenes. Dang it. Crap nuggets. All right. Three, two. <laughs> Forty-five with your boy Ghost and Slim. I'm your buddy Slim and my buddy Ghost here. Say hi, Ghost. Uh, hi, bud. <laughs> Dang. So, uh, how you been, bud? Oh, uh, pretty good. I, I was just looking on our uh, conversation history. We haven't talked in uh, four months, so uh, about time to record some new episodes. Definitely, I agree. Um, now. Obviously, we don't want to be cliche, but I f- do you think we should at least mention the whole uh, virus thing going around? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. Um, well, basically, uh, for those of you who are concerned about uh, Ghost and I, we are separate from each other and we're, we're being careful. But yeah, that's all we're going to say because we don't really care. Wait. We have people concerned about us uh, besides our moms. Yeah, surprise, surprise. You know, our whole, like, fan base that listened to last season. Yeah, we just progressively were getting worse and just more off topic with every season. Exactly. Yeah. And he was getting, and, you know, Ghost was getting closer to becoming a married man. And I was, you know, closer to losing my mind. And it was late at night. And we were just, you know... It was it was a rough patch in our lives, but now we're in 2020, the best year ever. Yeah, guys. So, um, so yeah, how you been though? Like, legitimately, how you been? Oh, pretty good. Just uh, not much has been happening. Yeah. Uh, I uh, something did happen to me. Uh, I've been having pretty bad luck recently, Uh-oh. and uh, ironically, my fridge, same. My fridge died. Uh, oh no! So I had to, I had to move everything from uh, my fridge to my chest freezer, and uh, how did it I, like? How did it die? Just old or? Yeah, it just got too old and passed away. Poor fridge. I feel that. I feel that. But uh, and I had just bought a, bought a new uh, gallon of milk, and so I, I put it in my uh, chest freezer that I got. Okay. And uh, so it's been about a. A month since that happened. I take the milk oh, no. out. I'm defrosting it. Pour myself out a glass. Take a sip. Almost throw up everywhere. The cap was oh. slightly off. And so oh, no. not only is the frozen milk rotten, but uh, that ice chest used to be uh, my bait ice chest. Oh, fish. no. And so it just tastes really strongly of fish. It is oh, so delicious. Bad. It was so bad. Hey, 
I mean, I mean, but who knows? Maybe this is innovative because you think like in other parts of the world, they're testing out new things like horse milk and donkey milk. You know, why not fish milk? You know, can you milk a fish? Uh, do fish aren't mammals? Don't hey, talk. Hey, save that. Me. We're gonna we're gonna do that for an episode. Can you milk a fish? And the real question, question is. The real question is, why can't you buy uh, sea cow milk? Why can't you buy manatee milk? Hey, or hey milk? it should definitely should be a thing. But aren't they like endangered though? Uh, manatees? Yeah. I mean, I've I've seen them in the wild. I don't really know if they're endangered. I don't know. It seems like one of those creatures that like fat white dudes would just be like, "Heck, I'm gonna shoot it and put it on my wall." You know, I mean, it seems like one of those animals that didn't win Darwin's games. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just kind of lost at every stage of the supposed evolutionary process. Uh, jeepers. Yeah, that's, that's what really casts my doubts on evolution. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty scientific guy. I believe in pretty much everything to a certain extent, but it's, how can... You know, how could this be a perfect system if stupid animals like a sea cow exist? <laughs> exactly. How can this be perfect when there's people like us making podcasts? Yeah. Uh, that's the sad truth. But no, we shouldn't we shouldn't be down on ourselves. You know, this is a new a new era for us. We're gonna, you know, come out on top this year, I believe. Amid all these terrifying trials, you know, Australian bushfires and like Famous people dying and stuff. We're going to rise up on top. We're going to... Yeah, man. This has definitely been a year. It's been yeah. pretty crazy, bro. It's, it's been pretty crazy. You think you think it's kind of going to die off soon, or you think it's just going to keep escalating? The year? I mean, we got like six more months, bro. Well, like the crazy stuff happening in the year, though. Oh, no. It's just going to get worse. Really? You think so? Yeah, like, what, what's the next thing that could even happen? Uh... Ducks, I mean, ducks I'm not going to get political, uh, but I'm pretty sure after this whole election's over, it's going to die off. I'm oh, just, yeah. I, I forgot the election's coming up. That's yeah. I'm, I'm going to just put that out there. I guess I need to register to vote. I like... <laughs> <laughs> Are you... Uh, it's quite possible that I'm, <laughs> that I'm not registered. So, Ghost... um. You were talking to me earlier saying that you had some pretty interesting stuff you've been researching. Um, what pretel would that be? Or do you want to get oh, into that? Well, I will start off by saying that uh, ever since I was a child, I have had a uh, stupid obsession with ancient animals. Okay. And, uh, I just have a small collection of some, uh, some wild animals from the past. Uh, most of them... Um, Kind of sure they're extinct. Might not Wait, be. Wait, you you have these animals? Like you've collected them? Yeah, like uh, I got in my time machine, went back. Okay, that's what it sounded like, and I was a little confused. Yeah. Uh. So uh, we'll we'll start off with uh, the Tully monster. Is uh, the nickname of it? The Tully the, uh... monster. Like, how's that spelled? T U L L Y. Yeah. T-U-L-L-Y monster. Uh, Scientific name, Tully Monstrum. Uh, For real? 
basically uh it's an ancient fish with a with a tentacle coming out of its face, but the tentacle has a mouth. Okay. Yeah. Now are it these looks just like, like something, uh, looks like something Lovecraft would have come up with. Now are these like hypothetical things like Bigfoot would be? Or are these no. like actual like proven to exist? The, there's fossil records of these, man. I'm I'm sending you some pictures of them. Alright, dope. I'll, I'll upload these for you guys at home to check out as you're li- if you're watching the video version. Uh, people listening to us on like audio on Spotify and different things like that, then uh, too bad for you. You can you can check it out um, on hey, the just, YouTube uh, channel. Just draw some mustaches on these so we can claim it as a uh, as artistic. Uh... Yeah, I just got your photos. Dope. So the Tony Monster. What? Uh, I should actually pull that up and just look at your pictures now that you're sending to them to me. What the heck on earth? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm picturing, I'm picturing, okay, picture pterodactyls, but in the ocean. With no wings. (laughs) Yeah, it's like if a squid and a pterodactyl had a baby. Dang, son. That, I see what you mean by something that, like, Lovecraft came up with. And, like, I'm expecting the eyes to be on top, but they're not, man, that's weird. So what exactly, uh, uh... Eyes, I think the eyes are coming out of the body, like on little antenna-looking things. Dang. So, what do we know about this creature? Um, it's, uh, it's not too big. Biggest we've, uh, seemed to find, I think, uh, was about 14 inches long. So, wow, that's actually really it's, small. Yeah, despite the pictures looking big. Yeah, these pictures make it look like it's about <laughs> to destroy Tokyo. Pictures looking like uh, that thing could grab you and pull you under the water. But, uh, not relatively small. Um, Are these, like, carnivorous? The, I mean, I'm assuming so, considering they got the, the sharp teeth looking thing. Probably, okay. uh, my guess would be scavengers, considering since they're that small. I mean, how are you going to... I guess you could eat on, like, some small minnows, maybe some bugs. Yeah. Or maybe... Uh, well, they're not, like, parasitic, though. Well, uh, that's the thing, is that they're believed to be the uh, ancestors of uh, lampreys. Lampreys, okay. Yeah. And when you, say that, you, when you say that, you can kind of look at it and understand. Now, for just people listening who might not know, you want to explain what a lamprey is? Uh, not really. I'm not a, not a marine biologist. <laughs> okay. So, um... I don't have the Wikipedia page for lamprey, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes, guys. Uh, for all of you who will probably disagree, high school teachers, college teachers, Wikipedia is a pretty credible source, all right? Stop telling us we can't use it for stuff. <laughs> okay, legit. Uh, for anybody who's listening to this and is in school... Wikipedia will uh, save your life on a paper. What you do is you look up your subject you're studying, you go to the Wikipedia page, of course you read the article, then you go down to uh, resources, yep. and then you click on the resources, and that's where you get all your sources for, yep. and that's, you search through them. 
That has saved my life on so many papers. You know, I thought you were going to talk about the old copy-paste method, but we don't condone cheating, so we'll just leave that there. (laughs) Um, So, these uh, Tully monsters, is that like what they're, like, this is what it's actually called, or is that just like a nickname? Nah, the scientific name's uh, Tully Monstrata or whatever. Interesting. Uh, So, how old are these? 300 million years? Tully Monstrum is uh, their scientific name, but I think uh, 300 million years is what we're uh, estimating them at. Well, that's what scientists tell us, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, I ain't no scientist. It could be yesterday. Yeah, for real. I mean, I've seen some pretty weird creatures out in out in the wild, so who knows? You know, uh, I actually have a few fossils in my uh, possession. If I remember, I'll try and track. I'm, I'll try and find them in my mess of a house. Send some okay. pictures. Not of this particular animal, but just of. Uh, yeah, I was like, wait, you have one of this? Yeah, I got a bunch of uh, like fossilized shells and stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Maybe, yeah, uh, maybe if we find some like sort of, uh, maybe I'll put them up on our Instagram. And if you find them, you can put like send me the pictures. Yeah, that's the real problem. Is I'm a collector of all sorts of crap and junk. <laughs> okay. So we got the Tolly monster. Um, what else we got? Oh boy, let me go back to my list. Oh yeah, here we go. Hell pigs. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> okay. First off, you're showing us a pterodactyl squid. You can't just like come out the gate with hell pigs. Hell pigs. That's that's it. Okay, next one. Which is also the name of my new d- black metal band. That's such a good name for a black metal band. Hell it pigs. really is. Especially if you're all cops. Oh, political. Oh. <laughs> we should probably edit that out. That that was a joke, guys. I I literally do not hold any beliefs at all. I'm an idiot. So I just sent you a picture of a hell pig. All right. Let's, Scientists let's say it lived uh, 21 million years ago. Holy crap! Yep. <laughs> Just Dang. like a, a freaking pig. Dude, Terrifying. <laughs> Rottweiler of pigs. Dang. Twenty. Okay. How how big is this thing though? Because if this thing is the size of the last creature, I'm not too worried. No, like I said a minute ago, it's like seven or eight feet tall. Uh, seven or eight feet tall? Yeah, from uh, hoof to the top hairs is what it looks like. Like if they're standing on their hind legs or like... Oh, no, no. Uh, Wikipedia, uh, don't sue me, but I'm reading this off of Wikipedia. Uh, standing up to 2.1 meters, 6.9 feet tall at the shoulder. With the brain the size of an orange. Holy crap! I mean, that's a dumb creature, but that's freaking massive. Yeah, I mean... I mean, you've done some wild boar hunting. Yeah, they're they're mean. A regular wild boar is super mean. So I can't imagine a seven-foot-tall boar. <laughs> seven-foot-tall hell pig. Yeah, because, uh... Oh, man, I don't know if it's too gory of a story for the listeners but i killed a pig one time and uh got a clean shot on it it was dead instantly 
but his body kept moving. Oh, and no. It just kept running and smashed right into a tree. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I can't imagine uh, Dagom Hellpig after you shoot that thing. Man. Dang, yeah. Because I imagine these things are, like, pretty thick as well. And not that type of... <laughs> not that type of thick people in the comments. No fanfics. <laughs> thick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, I mean... From what I know about wild boars, they do have, like, pretty thick skin, though. So I imagine a freaking hell pig is just like a... It's like an armored version of that. <laughs> Eight-foot-tall armored boar lumbering through the... Where, where are these things located? Uh, Europe, Asia, and North America. Okay, which that's the thing I meant to ask about the last one, though. Where, where do you find the Tony monster? Uh, Pennsylvania. Wait, what? Yeah, Pennsylvania, but back then Pennsylvania was, uh, like, at the equator. Oh. So this is, like, some Pangea stuff. Yeah. Oh. Oh, wow, so that's really old. Yeah, extremely. But, uh, the hell pigs, they're somewhat recent. Uh, 15 to 30 million years ago, according to carbon dating. Okay. Interesting. So, Tully monsters and hell pigs. Well, I definitely rather face off with the Tully monster. I think that can be clear. That hell pig looks pretty mean. Uh, Would you rather fight a hundred uh, Tully monster-sized hell pigs or one hell pig-sized Tully monster? <laughs> <laughs> now that's the real question, and I'm not sure. So, uh. This next one is what uh what sort of pushed me towards this topic tonight was uh okay. I was uh messing around at the house putting off doing some work and uh reading some news articles like I like to do. Yeah. Oh it's, my uh, soul. It's a hell ant. <laughs> oh gosh, from hell pigs to hell ants. Yeah. And gosh. uh it's basically just a regular ant, but the jaws are uh, vertical instead of horizontal. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, that's, that's... kind of weird, huh? Yeah. What are they speculating these things are? Uh, just ancient ants. So, yeah, I was trying to put off working at my house. And uh, uh, since I love uh, archaeology and anything ancient, anything... Uh, this popped up, and so I just went down a rabbit hole. So is it just an ant with a vertical jaw, or is like there more yeah, to it? I mean, they're relatively big ants. They're a quarter of an inch long, but... uh, Dang. They just had vertical pinchers. I mean, we don't have anything like that now. Yeah. Dang. How old did you say these were? Ooh, hold on one second. Uh. <laughs> Back to Wikipedia. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh this does not narrow it down at all. Uh, scientists <laughs> believe that it was uh that it lived from between ninety eight million years ago to half a million years ago. <laughs> oh wow. Brilliant. That's uh that's a broad range, science. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, and you know, I, I forget who it was that was talking about this, but like I love how like 
scientists can literally say anything and everyone's just like, oh yeah, sure. That's what it is. Like we take everything that science says as pure fact. And we like science doesn't even have to like give us a reason for anything. It's just like, hey, uh, so you discovered this weird ant. Uh, when did you say it came around? Eh, could have been 98 million years ago. Could have been a half a million years ago. Who knows? And we're just like, oh, cool, sure. I found sure, it in my death department. Yep, y'all know what y'all are doing, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah, no. Uh, honestly, scientists have, like, a huge amount of power to influence culture. Like, they, scientists with a political leaning could literally just lie about any of their findings and then use that to extrapolate their political ideas. Yeah. Dang, I love how we... <laughs> that is true. Which I... Like, the power of some individuals socially is that large, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it really, it really honestly is. It's kind of terrifying if you think about it. It's like, we don't... Sir, we don't care about your, uh, your opinions on communism and uh, libertarians. Uh, you're a freaking paleontologist. Yeah, for real. What which, does that uh... have to do with uh, otters? Yeah, for real. It's crazy. Like, that, you know, those type of people can literally just, like, say whatever the crap they want. And, like, they're just like, oh, sure, that's definitely what what science says. Because, you know, like, politicians or whoever's in power, like, they don't know anything about science. And so they just go along with whatever, like, they're told, just like we do, you know? Yeah, I, I will say this. I love science so much. It's so interesting. It re- it really is. Science is pretty fascinating. Like, there's a lot of really cool stuff. Which I was getting the uh, pictures of of the stuff I researched. I'll I'll be sending to you at some point during this episode. Uh, you got any other creatures for us? Um. Yeah, I got one more uh, creature, and then uh, actually two more creatures. I'm a liar, and both of them come with stories. Oh, perfect. Story time, guys. Story time with Ghost. So, what so, you got for us? Uh, first one is Titanoboa. Uh, guess, guess what it is. Uh, I'm going to guess it's a boa constrictor the size of the Titanic. Oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. Wow. Okay, next. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it was... 40, uh, they're believed to grow up to 42 feet long and reach a weight of 2,500 pounds. Oh, dang. Living in South America. Uh, yeah, I Wikipedia think I heard says, about these. Wikipedia says they're extinct, but uh, I, got, I got a story on that. Uh-oh. So uh, there was a pilot from uh, some, some European country. I uh, guess I should have the Wikipedia on that story up. Up two. <laughs> might as might as well. Might yeah. as well get your facts straight. Yeah, why not? Uh, <laughs> straight from Wikipedia. He was a uh, guy from 1959, flying around in a helicopter, uh, okay. doing some research, I believe. And uh, in South America. Yeah. And so he's flying around, pretty pretty low and slow taking pictures, whatever. And this is, he, like, Amazon, right? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Colum- uh, Columbia. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard about some of uh, this. I'm a liar. It's uh, It was in the Congo. 
Oh, wow. Well then, completely different area of the world. Yeah. Is it really though? Because I mean, yeah, Pangea. Yeah. Uh, similar climate, anyways. Yeah, but anyways, taking pictures of Congo. Yeah, and uh, he sees something kind of odd, and uh, goes and checks it out. And according to him, it was a, a snake about fifty foot long, with a head that was two foot uh, wide, three foot long. Dang. And uh, he said that it was the scales were dark green and brown and a whitish uh, belly. And so he's checking this thing out. He goes around for a second time. He's flying low. And the thing uh, gets up to uh, get ready to strike at his helicopter. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And so he decides to leave because it's getting really aggressive with his helicopter. This is like some freaking Godzilla type stuff. Yeah, and uh, fifty-foot reptiles just attacking helicopters. Yeah, the first time I uh, read about this, it was uh, I was in elementary school, and I had borrowed a book from a girl that I was friends with, and uh, she moved to Egypt before I could get the book back to her. (laughs) (laughs) So I still have the book somewhere. So if uh, you're that girl from Egypt, uh, let us know in the comments. I'll try and get the book back to you. I guess. Yeah, so we've talked about a 14-inch, uh, you know, pterodactyl squid. We've talked about hell pigs, hell ants, this Godzilla snake. What else you got? I still have trouble believing these. I, I can believe the ant. The ant is the <laughs> one that I can believe. <laughs> An ant with a vertical jaw? Uh, it's getting a little crazy, but okay. What? Are you smoking crack? What's what's your problem? What do you mean these pterodactyl squids? Get out of here. <laughs> well, uh, judging uh, by the picture you just sent me, it can only get worse. Yeah, this is another uh, Lovecraft uh, monster. It's called, a, I believe it's pronounced Anomalocaris, and it's a, a shrimp squid. And at the time, it was like an apex predator. Dang, this thing looks... Freaking terrifying. Yeah, they, uh, they weren't huge, but, uh, they weren't tiny, neither. They weren't, like, the, uh, Tully monsters. Okay. How big we talking? I mean, between the size of a hamster and the size of a school bus. Somewhere in between there. Wait, are we for real with these? No, I'm trying to find the the size on wikipedia give me a minute because <laughs> i mean uh, the school bus is outrageous but if we're gonna be talking about a squid as a shrimp the size of a hamster we got problems <laughs> no nah, it's uh about a meter the average one is about a meter in length that's still pretty big yeah yeah that's uh that's enough to ruin your day because if a shrimp was that big it could rip your head off for sure yeah, for real. And I've seen shrimp, and they're not, you know, they're aggressive. Yeah, and uh, my whole story for this one is uh, I just remember a long, long time ago, uh, back at, back on old YouTube, way back in the day, back when stuff was weird and it was awesome. 
Back uh, when the comments were at the very bottom, like we enjoyed it. Oh wait, sorry. Um, forgive me. Uh, wait, yours yours isn't that way because mine is still. My comments are still on the bottom. Wait, really? Yeah, I can take a screenshot if you don't believe me. Maybe I just haven't updated anything in a Dang, while. Dang, lucky dog, because YouTube recently updated to where like the comments are directly below your video, above all of your like suggested videos. And there's like yeah, nothing. No. My wife is like that, and I was very confused because my mine is not like that. Yeah, it's freaking annoying. You lucky, you lucky dog, not updating your phone. Dang. Yeah, I'm an old man. I never, I never update apps like that. He never updates himself either. <clears throat> Anyways. I mean that's that's not exactly true. I grew out a beard. <laughs> wow. Wow, you've really come around, Ghost. <laughs> Welcome to the age of beards. Not not that I can say anything, but... Yeah, you little baby-faced punk. <laughs> but anyways... Basically, this, uh, back in the old days, I remember watching this video for some reason. Like I said, I've always been really interested in ancient animals. Just super interesting stuff. Yeah. But it's... Uh, are you aware of... An anime music videos amvs i mean i'm sure i am well where it just like takes a rock song and then it'll have like a bunch of anime like oh a... yeah well this is sort of like that but it's a uh, I like to call it a dinosaur music video <laughs> <laughs> it takes like any ancient uh animal like a bunch of pictures of them and it just puts it into like makes it into a music video and okay. uh i came across it recently and it gave me such nostalgia that i uh, had to make this into an, an entire uh show topic you so, should uh send me a link to that i'll put like a five second clip of it or something oh it's so good it's uh you know evan essence uh yeah me up. <laughs> <It's that laughs> yeah oh, evan essence so wake me up with prehistoric creatures how is that so fitting, though? It's specifically the uh, Anomalocaris. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, just, it's so specific. It's great. Yeah, because, like, honestly, if you think about it, like, Wake Me Up by Evanescence is kind of a specific rock song as well. Yeah, it's a specific aesthetic to it. Yeah. How old did you say this was? Oh, this is... I would not be surprised if this was, like, the first living thing on the planet. It's so crazy looking. Yeah, that is really interesting. <laughs> Can you imagine being uh, Noah? <laughs> God's like, you gotta let all the animals on the boat. <laughs> Freaking meter-long shrimp shows up. Nah, nah, this ain't happening. I'm out. Close the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. I mean, hey, why do you think we don't have them now? Because yeah. Noah yeah. saw them and freaking was like, nah, this ain't happening. They were water animals, but uh, yeah, it's uh, just so weird looking. It looks like an alien. Just straight it really up. does. It looks like something out of freaking like, like, you like know, like. Alien or like any. It looks like uh, it should be flying around in the atmosphere of uh, yes. 
of uh, that one movie with the blue people. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'll definitely, man, I'll have to check into some of these. So, yeah. So, is it safe to assume that none of these are still a problem? Like, uh, besides that giant snake almost killing that uh, one guy? I mean, I wouldn't be too afraid of one of these things coming up and biting me while I was swimming. I mean, if a hell pig comes up to you and bites you while you're swimming, I'd be a little worried. I mean, we both have <laughs> sisters. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Oh, uh, half a billion years ago is how old they're saying the Anomalocaris is. Okay. That'd Wait, be half a billion? Billion with B. Half a billion years ago. Oh, dang. Yeah, so that's like the oldest one that we've looked at. Yeah, that's ancient, man. What about those ants with the vertical jaw, though? Like, those, that seems like something that would still be around, though. Yeah, you'd think so. Uh, that picture I sent you was, uh, it was trapped in amber, and it was actually eating a, uh, an early type of cockroach. But, uh, they died oh, out. Yeah, they died out, uh, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, relatively short time ago. Not within the human lifetime, but uh, pretty, pretty recently. Very interesting. Well, I know we're running, uh, we're running on time, so uh, we'll we're gonna shift gears here a little bit um, to what I have been researching. This is just kind of a to bring everyone back together to our podcast type of thing, just kind of discussing things that we've been researching lately. Um, so. Basically, you were researching these prehistoric uh, creatures, and I w- I've been researching a uh, a future topic uh, that we had talked about at one point, and I just kind of did some research anyways. I was discussing <clears> – I was researching <laughs> – pardon me. I was researching just some interesting, like, experimental and, like, theoretical and forgotten weapons that we've had. Uh, throughout history. I'm a huge history buff, as I know Ghost is, and a lot of, uh, if you're listening to us, then you probably are as well. Um, but I guess uh, I, I, I'm not entirely sure where we should start, so I guess we'll start with basically one of the, uh, I've got two that are kind of connected to each other, and then I've got uh, one that's a little bit a little bit off the a little bit more recent. I've got a bunch of older ones, and then I've got some more recent stuff. Uh, this was when I was in uh, still in high school. It was uh, summertime, and uh, me and my sister were visiting a military museum. Okay. And there was a there was a model of the Blackbird stealth fighter or stealth. Was it a bomber or a fighter? I think it was a stealth fighter, wasn't it? Anyway, uh, yeah, Blackbird. Big stealth airplane, and uh, we're looking at it, and there's a artist rendition of the Blackbird airplane, and it shows it like basically up in space, like leaving Earth's orbit. Yeah, and, uh, I have that and, picture like right here. Yeah, it's a famous picture, and yeah. my sister, she's a uh, she's a bit of a dit sometime, I'll say, and <laughs> really? she's like, Is she? could those could those really go to space? <laughs> and I look at her, I'm like, yeah, there's actually a ton of space battles we fought with the Russians in the Cold War. <laughs> and then 
this really, really angry man comes running up to me and starts screaming in my face. He was an engineer for the Blackbird Project. He thought I was being serious. (laughs) He's like, I was an engineer for this, and there's no way it could go into space. You're some sort of idiot telling people that this thing could go into space. (laughs) You're so angry. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, so, my God. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry, sir. This is my sister. It was a joke. She asked a dumb question. I'm sorry, sir. Stop yelling at me, please. Oh, my God. I mean, oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. I mean, hey, Trump does have Space Force now, so. But it was just, it was so odd. I don't think I've ever really been yelled at in public like I was then. Like, I've. I've gotten up to some shady stuff, some stupid stuff in public, but I've never been yelled at like I have by that man who was angry about me making a joke about the Blackbird Project. Yeah, for real. Like, that's like, that's some freaking, like... (laughs) He's like, uh, we could have, we were testing these materials and we could have died because this happened just for you to be making fun of us. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not making fun, sir. (laughs) Uh, that's 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 so amazing and i can like actually picture the whole thing unfolding which is so wonderful uh but speaking of like experimental weapons and things uh so i didn't do any research into any uh vehicles like that but i definitely did research into some well actually i did do a little bit of research into a vehicle so I did a little bit of research. I'll I'll put up the picture of a uh, a machine known sure. as we're going, uh, we're going way back. Uh, yes. for experimental technology and warfare. Ah, oh, crazy. But no, we're going back to World War One with the inve- with a little invention uh, known as the VZ One Pawnee or the Hiller Flying Platform. Have you heard of this? Uh, yeah, I've actually heard a little bit about it. Yeah, so basically during World War I, uh, the Germ- Germany and different people were attempting attempting to basically build a, a hover device that a soldier could stand on and then fire from. So kind of like the hoverboard from Back to the Future Part 2 uh, that, you know, he uses in that. The only... The only problem with this is it's a circular flying device as the propeller underneath and you stand on top of it and you're supposed to be able to fly around, which, you know, seems like an actual pretty cool idea. And it did work, which is pretty amazing. And there's like a whole like um, museum dedicated to these things. I've got a few pictures all put up. But um, the weird thing with the Hiller flying, uh, what was it? The Hiller flying platform was... It didn't have an actual, like, set of, like, you know, you think with, like, a helicopter or with a plane, you have a set of controls, like a joystick or something. It didn't actually have that. It didn't have, it had one lever that controlled whether you moved up or down. And Mm -hmm. then the, the way you had to move it from side to side was just by shifting your body weight. Man, that sounds fun. I mean, yes, in theory it does, but that also sounds like a freaking nightmare to try and control. Yeah, no, imagine you're shooting a freaking machine gun on that. It's going to be kicking you back. Yeah, for real. 
the map. That's kind of what I'm picturing, which I I don't think it was for machine gunners to use. I think it was more of like a sniper's outpost type of deal. No, dude, it's uh, not for machine. It's for mortar teams. <laughs> That's a terrifying idea. Yeah, the, I mean, imagine the extra range if you're 100 feet in the air and you shoot a mortar off. It's 100 feet. The mortar didn't have to go. I mean, touche. The um the Hiller Helicopters was the name of the company. And on September 7, 1953, they signed a contract with the Office of Naval Research Development uh, to incorporate basically a ducted fan with um, this platform to where the way it worked was 40% of the vehicle would lift based on air moving over the actual fan like the leading edge of the fan, and then the remaining 60% of the lift was generated by thrust from a counter, from counter-rotating propellers. <laughs> and the VZ-1 Pawnee um, were about 8 feet in diameter, uh, they were about 7 feet tall, and they weighed about 180 pounds with nobody on them. <laughs> um, it was pretty interesting. Um, What's up? 180 pounds, that's about half as much as I weigh. (laughs) They built about six of them. um, And they are, there's like six that were built and you can see them at the Hiller Aviation Museum. Um, But yeah, they they basically were developed and tested, but they never saw any actual like, I don't think they ever saw any actual main combat just because they were kind of deemed not very effective. Probably for the reasons we gave about having to shift your body weight to control them. That like that's just like a pain. Plus they I'm imagining I didn't read it anywhere, but I believe that they um it's basically supposedly according to science, it's the closest design to mimic a magic carpet. Um but like from what I can tell they couldn't get very high off the ground, so it just kind of was kind of a failed a failed project that never really went anywhere. America, in particular, had a lot of these projects that they worked on that just, like, never really went anywhere. We were like, that's a cool idea. And then they tested it, and they were like, you know, this really doesn't work. Now, that is where you're wrong. I will have you know, it does not work like they intended it to work, but I have seen them in use for industrial purposes. Really? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll send you a picture right now. It's sort of the same principle, but uh, concrete guys will use them to uh, level out concrete for huge uh, for huge jobs that I've been on. They'll that's just actually, ride around on these things. That's, that's really actually cool. really fascinating. I didn't even think about the use of that for like um not recreational. Yeah. Yeah, industrial, not recreational. Um, I'll send you a picture if you want to check it out, but it's it's pretty cool. Oh, wow. Now I see what you're saying. Yeah, that actually is pretty interesting. That's really cool. Um, wow. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I'll show you guys. Uh, you can see it here. Um, but anyways. We don't own these images. We're using them for uh, educational purposes. Don't sue us, please. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, back on topic. Uh, next in line, uh, staying relatively close to World War One. Um, 
is another weapon known as the Fletchet. Have you heard of this? Uh, yeah, they kind of suck from what I've from what I've done my research on. They're not very good. From what I've done my research on, they're terrifying, and yeah. they actually work pretty well from what I've heard. Well, the thing is, is uh, I mean, we can go. They're basically they're a bunch of darts shot out of a shotgun. Oh, that's not what I researched. Oh no, maybe I'm thinking of something else. Um, I think I'm. I think I did research what you're talking about. Um, and we'll get into that in a second. But basically, what Fletchets were was during World War One, before we had bombs, because our planes during World War One were not that great, and we didn't have bombs back then. Uh, or at least not great bombs. Like during World War One, the first bombs that we had were literally just like a pilot chucking a hand grenade out of his plane and hoping for the best. Um, but what they had were these things called fletchets, which um, I just sent. I just sent you a couple pictures of what they look like. But they basically look like giant railroad spikes with like basically wings on the back of them or that are etched into them. And the way uh, the way it worked was they would have like a cardboard box inside their plane oh, filled, yeah, no, those are terrible. filled with about 500 of these. And it was connected to a trap door and they would just fly over a troop of soldiers and they would just open the trap door and about 500, you know, from what I can understand, they're a decent size. They're about like, uh, let me let me see if it says it oh, here. How that's what they look like exactly it's it's almost like a freaking lawn dart basically uh it was developed during the early stages of world war one during 1950 when proper anti-personnel weapons hadn't really been developed uh they were five inches long and uh basically the room um and they were five inches long and then sharpened at one end by half inches. So the remaining four and a half inches were machined out so that the weapon had a cross section of an X. And then the arrows were then packed in boxes of 500 and placed in a hole in the cockpit. The pilot wanted to release them. He simply pulled a string before a group of enemy soldiers and they could cover an area of 500 square yards in a single delivery. I'll, uh, I'll also put a picture. Um, I'll also put a picture up of, what it looks like going through a tree. Um, but yeah, these things are freaking terrifying. You're basically just marching along and then all of a sudden 500, you know, half inch wide lawn darts rain down from the sky. They were powerful enough to go through metal helmets and like into your skull underneath. It's basically instant death. And luckily these things eventually became obsolete. Uh, with the invention of bombs, because I can't even imagine how terrifying this is. Um, one thing that I found that was pretty pretty funny, um, it says here that uh, and they were developed by the French, and then later on during the war, um, they were used by the British and the Germans. And the Germans, as innovative as they were, decided to give the Fletchers a more German touch. German fletchets, especially the ones that they used against the French, had an inscription stamped on all of them, which I'm probably going to mispronounce it. But um, it basically, uh, what was inscripted on them was Invention Francois Fabrication Allemande, which basically 
translates in French to a French invention, German made. And, <laughs> and so the idea was to give the French a taste of their own medicine. Uh, so, um, which it did prove quite significant to some extent because the whole mechanism of the the fletchets was a rather simple technique. Basically, a small canister was attached to the bottom of the fuselage of the plane, which was controlled via a thin string. Upon pulling the stream, the canister would open, dropping the fletchets on the troops or civilians underneath. Um, each canister contained somewhere between 250 um, to 18, uh, or 200, 200, somewhere between 20 and 250. On one occasion in 1915, a French pilot reportedly dropped as many as 18,000 over German troops. Wow. And wow. the idea was that dropped from a higher altitude, these steel darts could gain enough momentum to cause considerable damage to whoever they fell upon. Um, they proved less and less effective throughout uh, as the war progressed, obviously. But it's still pretty terrifying to think about. Uh. The Romans had a similar thing called a plumbata, and it's uh, basically a dart with a lead weight and then a... Uh, oh, I just got your picture. Yeah, okay. an arrowhead on it. And Dang. they would uh, throw them at the enemy, and of course, if you stick the guy, they're going to have a bad time, but also they would really weigh down uh, enemy shields. Okay. And so they would... Uh, you know, they would throw their javelin. They would throw those. They would throw their javelins, and then they would rush in with swords. So. Interesting. It that that is a very interesting thing, like how weapons, you know, ev evolve over over time. You know, how mm -hmm. we how they like obviously weapons change, but we still use the basic weapon, the basic ideas that we've always used. You know. <laughs> which is which is kind of interesting, but um, still on the topic of fletchets, uh, here is what I think you were talking about a second ago. This was another thing I researched, uh, which is basically similar to fletchets. It's actually very much related, but it's known as a fletchet gun or a fletcher, also called the needle gun. Um, but it's a it's a firearm. It says here. Oh on the yeah, uh, Halo. I love Halo. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, it's not the weapon from Halo, which I thought it was when I first saw it. And I was like, wait, this is a real thing? But um, no, the Fletcher, the Fletcher, or the needle gun, uh, it is a firearm that fires small, sometimes fin-stabilized metal darts or fletchets. Theoretically, the advantage of a needle gun over a conventional projectile firearm is the compact size, the high rate of fire, and the extreme muzzle velocity, which I'm getting this all from Wikipedia, so don't don't sue me, guys. Um, but I'll send you a picture. I'll send you these pictures I have of what they sort of look like. Um, the needle presents less frontal area than a bullet, and it produces less drag, so it's more effective for range, especially in water. So uh, the first image I sent you that I'll show the guests here is uh, the APS underwater rifle. It was developed by the Soviet Union in the 70s, um, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, the, the first projectiles um, um, that were developed in early gun systems date from the 14th century. They were typically hand-wrought iron fletchets wrapped in leather sabot. Uh, due to the expense and trouble of making these, 
as a pre-industrial society, they were really, uh, they were quickly replaced by cannonballs. But then when World say, War uh, one of these words are French, so uh, I think it's pronounced uh, flaché and uh, sabo. Okay, probably actually, you're probably right. Um, when World War One came around, flèches again came into mass use, um, starting as early as 1910. And they were airdropped. And then during the Vietnam War is when we actually started testing fleche weapons uh, in 1960. Um, so, yeah, we had, the, uh, we had the M1 dart launcher that was described as resembling an M1911 pistol with a sight mount on top. And then uh, the M1 was designed for the U.S. Army Special Forces to be used in Vietnam. It never got there due to not being able to get into the U.S. Army's logistic systems in time. Um, but fleche ammunition, ammunition encased in a in a sabot was avail was available for the M16 shotguns and then other weapons that were used. So I think that's where like your shotgun came from yeah. uh, that, that you were talking about, and then uh, and then they were used. Um, they were actually used. Uh, a June 1965 Esquire magazine story on the making of the James Bond film Thunderball featured drawings of dart firing pistols, um, which are kind of similar. Um, and then they fired the underwater weapons usually fired steel bolts that were just over four inches long, uh, but didn't have actual like fins on them. The one that I sent you, the second one I sent you is a five, six, six, Point target SPIW, which stands for Special Purpose Individual Weapon, um, and it's basically a machine gun for these things. Um, it was part of the um, it, it was part of the Future Rifle Program at, in the 80s, and then it was part of the Advanced Combat Rifle Program in the 90s. Um, but it it never really became useful enough to warrant replacing the m16 just because the m16 is so effective <laughs> yeah that's uh well the problem with uh flashes especially in a jungle combat is a uh, it's basically a really long uh spitzer round which is a uh, you know spitzer is your typical rifle bullet long uh cylinder with a point and mm -hmm. uh the problem with those is that they hit a leaf and then they uh like they hit small brush and they end up uh losing all their velocity yeah they uh they end up tumbling and okay so they hit something they hit something broadside instead of at the point uh, okay yeah I, I see what you're saying they lose a lot of accuracy and a lot of uh, power which is uh why my grandpa in Vietnam, he always carried a, a shotgun with a buckshot, is what he told me, because he didn't <laughs> trust the M16. Yeah. He was, a, is... he, he was a good old boy. He's like, I know how to use a shotgun. I ain't going to use one of them fancy M16s. <laughs> yeah, touche, as most, as a lot of a lot of the people back then were. Um, this next weapon that I researched. I made a plastic. What is that? I'm a tail. What is that? A Nerf gun? I ain't using that. Yeah, for real. Which um, I'll have to find pictures of this to send you afterwards um, because I didn't find any beforehand, uh, which I'm sure I can find some. But the uh, 
The next weapon that I researched was a weapon um, known as the gyrojet carbine. Have you heard of this? Oh, yes, uh, I'm very familiar with the gyrojet. I, I figured you would be. This seems like right up your alley. So the gyrojet uh, was one of, uh, it was basically, the idea was to use burning rocket fuel to launch projectiles instead of pressurized gas that we typically use in the firearm. Um, and so the advantage was that without the huge pressure of standard cartridges, a rocket-firing gun could be made far lighter and cheaper as it had no need to contain the pressure. So uh, the rockets would accelerate down the barrel as their fuel burned, and then the four rocket jets would be angled to put a spin on the projectiles for accuracy. And so the weapon would actually have the most kinetic energy at something like 20 yards downrange when the fuel expended. So a decent number of gyrojet handguns were made and sold mostly for like collectors and as like curiosities. Um, but intrinsic accuracy problems revealed that they just really weren't going to be taken seriously as weapons. Uh, the company behind the guns went out of business pretty quickly after they started development uh, because they were unable to fully exploit like their range of ideas. Um, but they did make a couple carbine variants of the gun. They made a few hundred that were made in two different models. Um, uh, one of which was the Mark One, and it was the Model B Sporter style carbine. But it, it's a pretty interesting concept, you know, a rocket-powered rifle. Uh, what do you what do what do you have on this topic? I mean, sounds uh, like straight out of the fifties, man. That's uh, and, and it really is, and it to me, and as a lot of people have mentioned, it sounds like it's straight out of a Jace, out of a James Bond film, and in a lot of the James Bond films, especially you only live twice. Uh, there are lots of like rocket pistols in those movies. I thought that was a pretty interesting concept that like there that they actually have tested, you know, rocket powered rifles. Yeah, that's uh, it seems like something from Fallout or something. Like yeah, that. Uh, a lot comic of people book. were saying that um, it because these guns didn't have any recoil, which was one of the plus sides and downsides. And so they said you would have to have like a 100 round magazine, and it would need to be full auto in order for it to be effective. You would have to like basically spray and pray an area. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's burning rocket fuel, so it's, it's going to start some fires, too. Yeah, and it says here it was about $100 a round. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, which it might be more nowadays, but, like, that's pretty, you know, that's also going to really put a dent in it. That's probably why it didn't become, you know a mass-produced weapon when your ammunition costs $100 a round, you know. That's, uh, I would not like to uh, shoot that. That seems very uh, uneconomical. Yeah, for real. Like, even if, like, nowadays, like, even if you could get your hand on one, like, just firing it, you'd be like, this is such a waste. <laughs> um, and last but not least, we're getting into more modern times, very modern times, actually. 
with a pretty interesting experimental weapon that I discovered. Uh, a weapon known as the XM-29. Um, it's the XM-29 Sabre. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Okay, I think you're going to like this, which you may have heard of it. Um, but anyways, it's the XM-29 Sabre OICW, which stands for Objective Individual Combat Weapon. Um, and the idea behind this was that you didn't need to have, you know, a primary rifle and like a sidearm with you you could just have all of them in one weapon <laughs> which is pretty interesting actually um so i'll send you a picture of this of what this looks like um i just sent it to you but it basically has a as you can see here it has a uh, a six times scope on top with a laser range finder it has a 18-inch titanium 20-millimeter uh, barrel that fires 20-millimeter explosive rounds with a six-round six shot clip. And then underneath of this is an attached 10-inch steel 5.56-millimeter 5, 5, barrel that has uh, kinetic rounds with a 30-shot clip. It has a bayonet attachment. It has a sling. Um, the 5.56 5, side has single shot and two round burst options and then all of this can be detached from itself so you can basically hold it as a main rifle or you can detach you know your under barrel you know i guess that would be a smg i would assume is what that is Me? um that you can detach and use separate from the main thing the the thing that is kind of interesting to me though is it doesn't have two triggers. It only has one, and it fires both barrels. <laughs> so you're basically, like, I don't entirely see how effective this can be, but you're basically firing 20-millimeter explosive round at the same time that you're firing 5.56 five, kinetic rounds, which I don't entirely understand the purpose of it. Um, but the overall, it's gas-operated as a rotating bolt as well. It's got the two. It's got the 5.56 ammo. It weighs about five kilograms empty and about six kilograms when it's loaded, uh, which I'm not entirely sure what that would be in American terms. Um, and then the magazine has about 20 to 30 rounds for the kinetic ammunition. And then about six rounds for the explosive. Um, but I just found it so, so interesting. Um, during the early stages of research and development in the mid-90s, uh, one out of the two teams that were selected for future development was um, Alliant Tech Systems, along with the Heckler Cock, I think is how you pronounce that, the, uh, uh, the German company. Um, but the ATK is um, which is the Alliant Tech Systems, they're responsible for the system integration and the development of the 20 millimeter airburst ammunitions. And then uh, HK is responsible for both the 5.56 rifle ammo and the 20 millimeter grenade launcher attachment. Uh, so that's just one of the variants that they had. They had a bunch of different variants actually. Uh, so one of the variants is your 5.56 five, 
uh, with the 20 millimeter launcher explosive rounds. Um, and then there's another one that has the um, 20 millimeter launch launcher, and then it has a detachable uh, HK submachine gun. And then you can also get it with just like the 20 millimeter standalone configuration, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, let me see what it said here. Uh, the idea was basically you would come, you would combine all of these together. So you didn't have to have multiple different sidearms, but I don't really, I don't really see what the purpose of it, of it would be. Do you? Yeah, no, it's, uh, kind of seems like government just giving out money for dumb ideas. And it really does. It's, it's kind of interesting play the idea was it would replace like the Colt M4 carbines as a standalone compact conventional like small arm uh the grenade launcher is is capable of firing in semi-automatic mode only and it's gas operated has a bullpup layout with a detachable box magazine located at the rear end of the weapon and then the rifle barrel um is used to launch them up to a thousand meters in range with pretty decent accuracy um so yeah it's it's pretty interesting the present plan stated that the that the rounds um would cost about for the heab rounds it would cost about 25 dollars for a round so i don't really know in real because i'm not as well known i don't really know guns that well i don't know how that relates to modern ammo that's expensive yeah which i mean it's still better than our previous gun which was a hundred dollars around um yeah for uh for reference uh bulk five five six which is what that the underbarrel gun shoots mm -hmm. uh bulk five five six that the government uses that's probably like 20 25 cents around okay wow yeah um, it basically what it got down to was that the current research and testing shows that the XM29 can it can be up to 500% more effective than like modern small arms that we have, but it is still to be seen if all the requirements are going to be met with like the resulting system, especially regarding like the reliability of the electronic components and like how much it's going to weigh and definitely we're not they have it's still an experimental weapon so they're not even like sure how expensive the weapon is going to cost which i imagine to have a weapon of that caliber you know with because you look at it and it's basically two weapons combined into one so i would imagine it's going to be fairly expensive yeah i would, I would uh, guess pretty expensive which it looks it's it's pretty interesting because it looks like something straight out of Halo, which who knows maybe in the future our space force will have XM twenty nines all over and, the galaxy. Uh, the, uh, it's pretty interesting. The uh, underbarrel, the five five six underbarrel gun looks very suspiciously similar to the uh, AR eighteen, but without a stock. Oh yeah, I do see that. You sent me this picture. Yeah. That that is pretty interesting. I wonder that's probably what they're going with. I mean, is 
the AR-18 fairly common, I would assume? Um, not as common as the AR-15. The, uh, the, North, the Northern Irish, uh, that was one of their favorite rifles. Uh, I, at one point, I was slightly well-versed on Northern Ireland and all that and how they got their shipment of AR-18, supposedly, but uh, I've since forgotten that piece of knowledge. But the thing with AR-18s, is that they're cheaper to make than an AR-15, hypothetically speaking. Like, back in the day when polymers were more expensive, but, uh, because it's an all-steel gun. Okay. Uh, these days, it's, uh, polymers. Cheap as crap. Yeah. Steel. Expensive. Interesting. So, what are, what are your thoughts on these weapons? On any, any, any final thoughts on any of these weapons? Uh, really suck to get hit by a lawn dart. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, honestly, out of all of the stuff that I researched, the the flying platforms by Hiller seem like an interesting concept. Um, but I I think those I think that company was probably just a little too far ahead of its time. Would be my assumption. Uh, um, the needler rifle and the flechets. They sound like the most terrifying thing that I've actually heard about. Because you think about, like, bombs and stuff. Like, bombs are pretty scary. But, you know, one bomb dropping in an area is kind of avoidable. You know what I mean? It is slightly. Just don't be in that area. Exactly. But, like, flechés, like, a bomb you hear coming. But flechés, you're not going to hear unless you, like, see the plane above you. So, you know, you're just marching along with your troop and all of a sudden, you know, Harry in front of you gets impaled with a five inch long steel dart. You're going to and then everyone around you starts dropping like flies, you know, Yeah, it's World War One probably one of the worst wars to be in. But, uh, Honest, honestly, yeah. With... Pretty interesting is uh, back then, since the planes were, uh, you know, low and slow flying. A lot of uh, the bolt-action rifles in World War One had anti-aircraft sights, and the yeah. Yeah, uh, World War Two uh, Japan had not get gotten rid of that uh, ideology, and so everyone else had like uh, automatics or semi-automatics, and uh, Japan was still over there using uh, bolt-action rifles with the uh, anti-aircraft sights. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's uh, especially imagine like. Them trying to shoot down a, a Mustang or something. That just ain't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those planes are rifle. Yeah, or like, you know, when German when Germany finally started development on, like, their Messerschmitt jets, like, there's no way you're shooting those things down with a anti-air rifle. Yeah, have you ever heard of uh, the only confirmed air-to-air -air kill that happened with a pistol? I, it sounds familiar. Why don't you enlighten us? It's, uh, since we're talking about the world wars and, uh, that sort of stuff, uh, an American pilot got shot down in, uh, the Pacific Theater. Okay. Yeah, Pacific. <laughs> Dumb joke. But, uh, ah. and so as he was parachuting down, uh, the Japanese, they, that was like a sport to them was shooting, uh, people as they parachuted down. <laughs> And so the Zero who shot down his plane 
uh, lines up on them to start hit uh, shooting them with the uh, you know the guns on the zero. And uh, the Americans like, well, I'm not just gonna you know sit here and let myself get shot. So he pulls out his 1911, <laughs> starts shooting at the zero, and actually. Oh my God. Uh, hits and gets a confirmed kill with a 1911 on a Japanese Zero. Dang, that's pretty amazing. You gotta be a pretty good shot. Or really yeah. lucky. I, I think it's more luck, but yeah, that's uh... That's amazing. The, Man, the... that Japanese pilot should have just accepted that he got a air kill and moved on. But yeah. nope. He was going in for the pride and it ended up taking him down. <laughs> But yeah, like you mentioned, like World War One, so much stuff was experimental during World War One. I. I mean, even stuff that you don't even think about being experimental, like even machine guns were experimental in World War One, along with like tanks and gas. Like it's a ter- it's a really terrifying war to think about. And like people talk about how tragic and terrifying World War Two was, but World War One was a nightmare. And uh, uh, what's interesting to me is we had a, a semi-automatic rifle in the like late 17, early 1800s. And then uh, we just kind of like, like, eh, that's not interesting enough. So then we were still using black powder, then got the cartridges, bolt action rifles and stuff. But that's a, it was a air rifle, semi-automatic, uh, 30 caliber I think it held 28 in its magazine, 28 shots in the 1700s. Dang. And how come we uh, we didn't, like, expand on that technology and actually use that instead of, like, muzzle loaders and stuff? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, like, freaking, like, is this is, like, BB gun territory? It, it's a uh, shot a 30 caliber ball, so that's, like, a... Uh, Okay, so it's like a diameter. It's like a BB gun, but massive. Yeah, giant BB gun that shot BBs the size of uh, the same thing like the M1 Garand shot. Dang. Yeah, uh, it seems more effective than a muzzle loader. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah. I guess they were just too expensive to use broadly in warfare. The uh, Lewis and Clark expedition had a couple of them. Okay, yeah, I think I think I did hear about that actually. Which, their favorite um, thing was uh, showing off to the tribes, uh, the Native yeah. American tribes. Like, look at what we got. Look at this thing. Crazy. Yeah, and then years later, we just were like, "Hey, that's pretty cool, right?" Yeah, no one cares. <laughs> yeah, Thirty shots. Who gives a rip? We're going back to our two shots a minute. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, I think. I think that's pretty interesting, some of the stuff we researched. I definitely had a blast researching some of these experimental weapons, and I really love those uh, prehistoric creatures you discovered. I'd, I'd be interested to learn more and to find out like how recently they were around. Yeah, that's, uh, that's always something I'm interested in, is ancient animals, that sort of stuff. Pretty cool. Go ahead yeah. and... Uh, post- Post in the comments what uh, weird ancient animals uh, you've looked into. Maybe we'll uh, talk about them in a future episode. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about them. Show us any experimental weapons or anything that you've come across. 
Uh, well, anyways, I think that about does it for this episode. We've gone on long enough. Y'all are probably tired of hearing us rant. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say? Any anything you want to give to the to our listeners before we go? Um. Yeah, if you ever see one of those uh, giant uh, shrimp squids or the uh, Tully monster, uh, definitely take some pictures. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you you got a you got a recommendation for our guests this episode? Oh, I was not ready for that one, man. <laughs> not ready. You always got to be ready, ghost. If not, I can give a recommendation. Yeah, that's cool with me. So, uh, following the trend of a lot of my friends, a lot of my friends stopped doing the whole, like, drinking soda thing. And I've drank soda my entire life. And probably too much soda, so I did the whole thing where, like, oh, I'm not drinking soda anymore. One of the alternatives that people have been doing is the, like, whole sparkling water. I came across a thing the other day in the store, which I'll, I'll have to send you some ghosts and let you try. But there's a company called San Pellegrino, and they make these... Uh, it's San Pellegrino Italian sparkling drinks, which I thought it was like just sparkling water that was flavored interesting, but it's actually uh, got like a ton of actual just like all natural juice in there. Uh, the two that I found are blood orange and lemon flavor, and they're both high quality, very, very good. I got mine at Winn-Dixie. Uh, you can get like, I think, three six packs for like 10 bucks which is not that bad, and they're pretty great, honestly. It's a good alternative to soda if you're trying to cut down on that stuff. has about 19% juice, and uh, yeah, they're pretty great. Uh, so yeah, I think that about does it for our episode. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, any final words? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'll expand on that. Is uh, I, I didn't know that... Uh, I had always known that soft drinks had a ton of sugar in them mm-hmm. i didn't know they had that much because i was uh drinking a mountain dew and i look on the back of the uh bottle and it's like a 150 percent daily value of a uh, sugar Dang. that's pretty crazy but anyways that does it for our episode of wouldn't you like to know guys and uh hope you guys will tune into episode 46 coming up at you sometime uh next month We'll be putting out episode 46 for you. Hope you guys listen. If you, uh, uh, if, you, if you enjoyed this, leave us a like, comment down below, maybe subscribe to our channel for us. And uh, who knows, maybe in the future we'll, uh, we'll upload some of, our, uh, some of the past episodes that we never uh, got to put on YouTube. Yeah, that's a, that's a Patreon exclusive. <laughs> Patreon exclusive. No, guys, we don't have a Patreon, but we probably should set up one. You know, we've been doing this for some time. If people really want to support us, then they should bring out the big books. The big bucks. If uh, if you really want to support us, buy our merch. Uh, Eventually, we might get some merch if we feel like it eventually. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, would. Yeah, eventually. Wouldn't you like to know? (laughs) Peace Uh, out, guys. Uh, bye.